You are listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel in Brampton, Ontario. For more information about our church, please visit harvestbrampton.ca. Let's bow our heads and pray together. So God, we are here to do just that, to, uh, to set our hearts on you. And we've uh, lifted our voices and worship to you. And now we want to open our eyes and our ears to hear from your word. But God, you are most concerned about our hearts. And you are most concerned about um, uh, who we are in you. And who we are in relationship to the gospel and to one another. So God, I pray that as we uh, open your word right now, that you would uh, show us beautiful, glorious things uh, from your word, God, and that you would speak right to our hearts, Lord, to, the, to our, our very inner being at the deepest possible level, God. I pray that you would uh, speak to us. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for this time to be together, Lord. Use this time for your glory, in Jesus' name, amen, amen. Well, you can open up your Bibles to the book of Galatians, and if you don't have a Bible, uh, the ushers are coming up and down the aisle right now. If you're new to Harvest Bible Chapel, um, a Bible is our middle name, and uh, so I don't really have anything to say apart from what's already written in uh, God's Word, and the only reason I'm up here to speak is to really help you understand what God has already written. And so if you need a copy of the Bible, we want you to be able to follow along, because the authority doesn't lie with the person speaking, the authority lies with the Word of God, because God is a God who has spoken and is speaking. Amen? Amen. And so... Um, uh, Open up to Galatians uh, chapter uh, 2, and uh, I'll meet you there uh, in a minute. I got to be honest with you, a lot of my Christian life, even a lot of my Christian uh, ministry has been uh, motivated and punctuated by guilt. A lot of the times when I was uh, doing good things, I did them because I wanted to not feel guilty uh, for neglecting them. I was motivated more by a sense of obligation, a sense of guilt. I, I didn't have a, a joy-filled, gospel-centered, spirit-led motivation in my life. A guilt defined a lot of what motivated me. And, and to be honest with you, guilt defined a lot about how I felt about myself. I, I had a, a, a number of things uh, in my life where I felt like I was just not measuring up when I would talk to other Christians about, about their spiritual disciplines or how early they got up in the morning or how devoted they were to prayer or how successful they were in sharing their faith with their neighbor. I, I kept thinking about, well, that's what a Christian is, but, but this is who I am. And I, 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 didn't, I, I, didn't, I slept in this morning and someone asked me uh, a question about my faith and I didn't answer it properly and feeling this sense of guilt, the sense that I, that I have not measured up, that I cannot measure up. There are also a number of uh, habitual, besetting uh, sins, fears, insecurities, lusts uh, happening in my life that I, I felt like I, I, I couldn't shake off. And no matter how hard I tried, I continued to feel guilty. Guilt was sort of the defining characteristic of how I thought about my relationship with God. 
You can't experience Christian freedom if you're living with guilt. And if, if what I'm describing to you uh, today is, is, is at all resonating with you, if this idea of guilt being your main motivation, maybe you came to church because you felt uh, guilty uh, today. Maybe when you look yourself in the mirror, you feel guilty, you feel ashamed because of the way that you have been behaving. You know what God's word says, but you are not measuring up. I want to give you an invitation to freedom today. The book of Galatians is, is this, this manifesto of Christian freedom. It is this declaration of the liberty that a Christian is supposed to enjoy. And I've got to be honest with you that I, 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 there's a, a long, long period of my life where I was not experiencing that kind of freedom. I knew the verses that said that, that if the sun sets you free, you are free indeed. I knew those kind. I understood it. I, under, I understood it mentally, academically, phys- philosophically, but it, it didn't work out practically in my life. Well, today in Galatians chapter 2, verses 15 to 21, I want to take you through one of the most rich portions of scripture, and I want to show you uh, two things that really form the foundation of Christian freedom, that if you have these two things, then you are on the road, you are heading in the right direction for living a life of true freedom. Now, uh, normally the way we do things here at Harvest is I read the passage and then I explain a point um, related to the passage and we sort of do that as we go through. But I'm so excited to share these principles with you. Even before I read the text, which is the most important part, I want to summarize for you what this text is going to communicate. And so you can find the notes in your handout. You can fill in these blanks right here, right now. The foundation of Christian freedom, freedom is this. Jesus instead of me and Jesus inside of me. Jesus instead of me and Jesus inside of me. Jesus instead of me is justification by faith. You're like, I have no idea what that means. That's why we're going to be reading the Bible. That's, 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 where we're gonna, that's what we're going to learn about today. And then Jesus inside of me, union with Christ. Now, when we left off last time in the series, Paul was in the middle of a loving but firm confrontation, apostle with apostle, Paul confronting the apostle Peter, because the apostle Peter was living as though the Old Testament law still had authority over him. And Peter was fearful. There were other people who were making him feel guilty, who were making him afraid, who were pressuring him to live his life a certain way. And we're going to pick up the story in chapter 1, verse 14. It says, But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel... I said to Cephas, which is one of Peter's many names, Cephas, Simon, Peter. I said to Cephas before them all, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like the Jews? And so, 
Paul here recognizes this inconsistency in Peter's life. That the way he was living did not line up. It, it, It was not in step with the truth of the gospel. And Peter was Jewish, but he wasn't living completely Jewish because he was placing his faith in Jesus Christ as the once for all sacrifice for his sin. But Peter was acting as though anyone who was non-Jewish in order to become Christian would have to become Jewish first. And that's what Paul was interacting with Peter about here. And if you look at verse 15, it says, we ourselves are Jews by birth. Now, uh, in my ESV Bible, there's a whole new paragraph started here. The quotation marks of uh, Paul's statement to Peter ends at the end of verse 14. And verse 15, uh, it, it, it starts a whole new idea, a whole new uh, phrase. But if, if you have an NIV Bible with you today, you're reading a, a slightly different uh, translation, but it's, it's all in one paragraph. And actually, the quotation marks don't end after verse 14. The quotation marks go all the way to verse 21. Do you notice that if you have an NIV? You see, uh, in the original Greek, there were no quotation marks. And so anytime you see a quotation mark in the New Testament, it's, it's, it's being added by the English translators because that's how, when you read English, that's how you know when someone else is speaking. And I believe the NIV actually got this right in the way that they arranged the paragraph because if you look at what, what uh, Paul says here, he says, we ourselves are Jews by birth. Now Paul is writing to the churches in the cities of Galatia. They were not Jewish. Some of them were Jewish, but they weren't all Jewish. So he wouldn't be saying, we ourselves, me, Paul, and you over there in Galatia. And Paul was writing from a place called Antioch, which was made up of a church filled with Jewish people and non-Jewish people. So he's not writing on behalf, he's not saying we on behalf of um, the the church at at Antioch. He is speaking, he's still speaking to Paul. We ourselves are, he's like, why are you making them act like Jews when we're Jews and we don't act like Jews? And so he says, we ourselves are Jews by birth. And then he says, and not Gentile sinners. That's a little harsh, isn't it? Uh, Peter and Paul, being, being Jewish, can just say that everyone else who's non-Jewish, which that's what a Gentile means, that they're all sinners. But what he's getting at here is uh, the Gentiles, the nations, they didn't have the Ten Commandments. They didn't have the law. So they weren't motivated in any... Of course they were sinners. They weren't even trying to obey because they didn't even know what they were supposed to obey in the first place. It's kind of like a tongue-in-cheek comment because that is how Jewish people would have thought of non-Jewish people. Of course they're sinners. They don't, they don't have the Torah. They don't have the law. They don't want to obey. Then in verse 16 he says, Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. He says, yet we know, Paul again, talking to to Peter, Peter, yet we know, we know, we're Jewish, but we know that being Jewish is not what saves you. Yeah, we have the law, but the law is not what saves you. It's Jesus that saves you. And he, he uses the word justified, He says, yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. If you have an ESV Bible, there's a a footnote beside the word justified. To be justified means to be counted righteous. And how are we counted righteous? Well, he, he begins by 
by a, a negative illustration. He says, we are not justified by works of the law. This idea of being justified, of being counted righteous, does not happen by the works of the law. Being good is not good enough. That's, that's the, the message of the New Testament. That no one can be justified. No one can be counted righteousness. No one measures up to God's perfect standard. We all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So he says that no one is justified by works of the law. Then positively he says, but through faith in Jesus Christ. And this, was, this is what we're going after when we think of Jesus instead of me, justification by faith. You see, every other world religion teaches justification by law. How do you get right with God? How do you get right with, with Vishnu? How do you get right with Allah? How do you get right with, with the uh, world or the system that, that's being presented in Buddhism? How do you get right with God? How do you live rightly? You live rightly according to every world religion by doing what is right. The way to get right is to do right. It is a works-based system. Every other religion of the world teaches that. But Christianity does not teach that. We are not justified. We are not made right with God by works of the law. He says, but it's through faith in Jesus Christ. The way to get right by God, with God is to believe. To believe is how a person is justified. And when you believe, when you place your faith in Jesus Christ, when you hear the message that Jesus came to this earth as God in the flesh, and that he lived a perfect life, and that he suffered and died on the cross in your place, when you believe that, and when you believe that he rose again, when you place your faith in him, then you are justified. And justification is absolutely freeing, and here's why. Justification is a once-for-all act of God by which he instantly and permanently counts a sinner to be righteous. It's, it brings freedom because it's an act of God. It's not a work that is done by us. It's not something that is achieved. It is something that is received, and it's received by faith. And loved ones, it's instant, and it's permanent. And it happens through faith in Jesus Christ. All of our sin is counted to Christ on the cross, and all of Christ's perfect works of the law, the only person who ever fully obeyed the law, his perfect record is counted to us. Jerry Bridges so succinctly sums this up. He says, to be justified is to be just as if I'd never sinned, and just as if I'd always obeyed. So our past record is, is cast out and God instantly and permanently says that no longer applies to you. And then Christ's record says this now applies to you. This is how you're going to be judged by 33 years of sinless perfection by my son, Jesus Christ. It's an incredible truth. 
I put a quotation in the bottom of your handout by J.I. Packer that says, justification is the truly dramatic transition from the status of a condemned criminal awaiting a terrible sentence to that of an heir awaiting a fabulous inheritance. Jesus gets what we deserve. We are the convicted criminal awaiting a sentence, but Jesus took the sentence. And we get what Jesus deserves, which is a glorious inheritance as we've been made sons and daughters of God. And then Paul goes on to repeat this. He makes this point. We are justified by faith, not by works at the beginning of verse 16. And then if you keep reading right there in the middle of the verse, he says, so we have also believed, which is just uh, the same word as we've placed our faith in. So we have believed in Christ in order to be justified by faith and not by works of the law because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. He uses the word justified three times. He continually says it's not by works, it's not by works, it's not by works. We are justified by faith in Jesus Christ. Here's why justification gives us so much freedom. If you're here today and you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ, or if you're here today and you want to place your faith in Jesus Christ, here is the freedom of justification. You did nothing to earn it. And because you did nothing to earn it, you can do nothing to lose it. It is instantly and permanently declaring you righteous. We are talking about permanent, ongoing, legal immunity. That no accusation made against you, true or false, can stand. Because God, who is the judge of all things, has said that you are justified in him. And you need to understand, your past is forgiven and your future is secure. And sin and guilt will always have a grip on you until you really allow this truth to define your life. That you are forgiven. You will never be able to fight sin until you know you've been forgiven from your sin. You will never experience victory in the Christian life until you understand the victory that Christ has already won for you, that you are justified. I have a a list of verses that I keep in the front of my Bible, and and I refer to these time and time again, these, these truths of the reality of justification, that it is instantaneous and that it is permanent. Psalm 103 verse 12, as far as the east is from the west, I'm probably pointing north-south right now, as far as the east is from the west, you can't get further apart. That is how far God has separated our sins from us. I need to be regularly reminded of that. My sin will overpower me unless I remind myself that I am separated from that sin because I am justified. Isaiah 38, 17, God says, I have cast your sin behind my back. Satan wants to make sin front and center. And God's like, get that out of here. I'm casting it behind my back. We're moving forward. And then I love Micah 7.19. I have cast 
your sins, or sorry, you have cast my sins in the depths of the sea. God's just taking a taking our sin, put it in a duffel bag, poured a whole bunch of concrete in it, and then dumped it into the depths of the sea. It's never going to resurface. We are justified, loved ones. 1 John 1.9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Unrighteousness righteousness. What is justification? To be declared righteous. You need to understand what it means to be forgiven. You need to understand what it means to be justified. Some of us think that, well, I'm, I'm going to repent of my sin. I'm going to confess, but I need to sort of clean myself up, you know. I need to let a few days go by. You know, I really messed up and, and I'm just going to let a week go by before I really, I need to show God how serious and sad I am about my sin and so I'm just going to mope around for, you know, three, four days or, or maybe a week before I really, before I really turn towards God. Listen, you can turn towards God today, right now. Do not delay. Come home to him. Come home running. You're a prodigal come home. He'll meet you. He'll run to you. He'll embrace you because he's justified you. Don't delay. Guilt and sin will continue. Listen, at the end of the day, at the end of the day, every human being just wants to feel good. Really, when you get right down to it, we just want to feel good. And listen, forgiveness and justification feels so good. And guilt feels so bad. So when you sin, you got to choose. Am I going to choose to feel forgiven or am I going to choose to feel guilty? Listen, guilt, there, there is a sense in which guilt is good. If guilt leads you to seek forgiveness and repentance and confession, then that's good. But if guilt is keeping you from approaching God, if guilt is causing you to wallow in your sin and just try to find a way to function in your dysfunction, that is not good guilt. That guilt is bad. That guilt is, is not coming from the Holy Spirit. That's not conviction. That, that, that guilt is, is coming from the world. It's coming from the flesh. It's coming from Satan. It's demonic. If you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's, that's the first foundation of freedom. You've got to know that you are forgiven, that God has cast your sin behind his back, thrown it in the depths of the sea. So important for us to know that. That's the first step towards freedom. You'll never be free until you know you're forgiven. Then verse, in verse 17, he says, but if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. Paul kind of uh, anticipates an objection here, which is an objection that's really natural. I mean, because the gospel sounds too good to be true. Like all I do is believe. Like Jesus took all of my sin and now I'm justified, past, present, and future. My status as righteous is permanent, it's fixed, it can't change. 
How does that stop us from just living however we want to live? I mean, wouldn't that promote some sort of weird Christian anarchy, this sort of moral chaos where everyone is doing what they want to do? And Paul says, "Uh, certainly not. Verse 18, he says, for if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. What is he talking about uh, tearing down? Well, in verse 19, he says, for through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. So what has been torn down is the law. Because the law, that was the false foundation for freedom that Paul used to be living by. That if I can just measure up, if I can just do all of these things, then I'll be free. But that was never the point of the law. As we're going to go through in the rest of the book of Galatians, the, the, the law was never intended to show us how to be free. It was to show us how enslaved we are. It was to reveal the sin inside of all of us. And so the law did that. It reveals how sinful we are. And it points us to our need for a savior. And then the law gets torn down because we've been counted a righteous. And so Paul sort of turns the table on the, on the questioner who says, well, though, I mean, why wouldn't you just sin all you want to if you know you've been justified? Well, Paul says, I know the real sin would be to try to rebuild the law. Because at the end of the day, sin is about our relationship with God. All of the sins, all of the laws are, are, are describing how we ought to relate to God. And Jesus came so that we ultimately we could relate to God, so that we could be forgiven of our sin, and so that we could live in a right relationship with him. But, I mean, nothing really shows that there's friction in a relationship. If someone offers a free gift, and the gift is refused, right? You know things are not right there. If someone says, hey, I bought this for you, I was thinking of you, and they say, I don't want that. That shows a real rift in the relationship. That's not a healthy relationship. And so our relationship with God, it it would not be healthy if we took the gift of Jesus Christ and the gift of justification by faith and we said, ah, you know what? I'm just going to go over here and build my own wall through the law. Christ tore down the barrier that was between us and God and we're trying to rebuild it. That's why Paul says, "If if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a greater sin would be to try to earn your salvation after the gift of salvation has been given to you. In verse 19, he says, through the law, I died to the law. The law showed me how desperate I was to have a savior so that I might live to God. And then verse 20, one of the most beautiful and profound um, sentences in the history of writing. Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. This is the second part of the foundation of freedom. So there's justification by faith, Jesus instead of me. And then there's union with Christ, Jesus inside of me. And what verse 20 and 21 show us is that God through the cross did not merely change our legal standing. As important as justification is, that is not the only thing that happened 
when you place your faith in Jesus Christ. It's not just that your legal standing has changed. Listen, your very being has changed. Your whole identity has changed. You used to be a sinner separated from God, and now you are united with Christ. Christ now lives inside of you. And this is absolute, if you're going to live in freedom, you need to absolutely understand and embrace and live by this truth that you've been crucified with Christ. You know, every time you, you share your faith with someone and you are inviting them to believe in the gospel, to believe that Jesus died for them, you know what you're ultimately doing? You're inviting them to their own funeral. And every time you share your testimony with someone, really what you're doing, it's like you're reading your own obituary because you've been crucified with Christ. And then he goes on to say, it's no longer I who live. I've been crucified. It's no longer I who live. That old self, that self that used to love to sin, that self that used to rebel against God, that self is dead. God's word is true and this is what God's word says. The self that loved to sin is dead. And then it goes on to say, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Jesus Christ has now chosen to dwell in you. I remember when I became a Christian, I was six years old at a summer camp, and I was told that to be forgiven of my sin, and I was very aware of my sin, that if I was to be forgiven of my sin, I needed to invite Jesus into my heart. And so I remember sitting on my bunk in the cabin at that camp by myself, asking Jesus to come into my heart. And I remember just, you know, little felt bored Jesus just kind of walking in the kitchen door and sitting down at the kitchen table of my heart. He, he, was, he was in my heart from that point on. And that was a basic concept for me to understand. I'm not the most theological. I wasn't that, that strong a theologian at six years old. I'm still growing at 37. But I, I really believe that I got it when I was six that Christ now lives in me. And it's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And then it says, and the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. Now this seems odd, because it says, I was crucified with Christ. I no longer live. But then he says in the same verse, he says, he says the life I now live. You see, there's a new I. The old eye is dead and there is a new eye. You have been transformed and changed from the inside out. It's not just that your old record of all your past sins, it's not just that your old record is gone. Your old self is gone. And then it says, the life that I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God. Isn't it amazing? In, in this verse, the word uh, live, life, or lives is, is mentioned uh, five times. This is, this is a verse that describes how are we supposed to live the Christian life. This is the life I now live. And I live it by faith. It's amazing, you know, these, these two principles, justification by faith and, um, and union with Christ. Justification happens by faith. Union with Christ also happens by faith. 
The life I now live, I live by faith. It's all by faith. Do you believe that Christ lives inside you? Do you believe that you are a new creation in Christ? It all happens by faith. And these are the implications for us, loved ones. Firstly, we have a new identity. We no longer have the identity that we once had. We're no longer trying to find our identity in our possessions or our work or, or through what other people think of us. We have a new identity of who we are in Christ lives in me and I am new. The old self is dead. It's a new identity. I'm no longer who I once was by the grace of God. The person inside of me that used to love to sin is dead. I no longer love sin. I no longer want to sin. We have a new identity. Uh, Furthermore, because Christ is inside of us, we have a new power. Before, the old self, the old self was powerless against the power of sin. Sin said jump, we said how high? Sin said let's go do that, We're, we're all in. We loved to sin, we were enslaved to sin, But now we have been changed and Christ now lives inside of us and he is now our master. And so we're no longer enslaved uh, to sin. I got to do a bit of a spoiler alert here because I just got to take you to chapter 5 of Galatians. We'll get there eventually in the series, but just turn to Galatians 5, uh, 16. Galatians 5, 16. This is going to describe, uh, help us to understand what we need to believe about ourselves in order to have the power to fight sin in our lives. Verse 16, but I say, walk by the Spirit, capital S Spirit. How does Christ live inside of us? He lives inside of us by His Spirit. In Galatians 4, the Spirit is called the Spirit of Christ has been sent into our hearts. Christ dwells in our lives. It says, but I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. So here's here's an explanation of just that common question. Why do I still sin? Why do I still get tempted? If I'm new, why is it that there's a part of me that is lured towards sin? Well, because you have these desires in your flesh. We need to understand, that is not you. Those are desires that might uh, inhabit your flesh. It may be part of you, but it is not you. You fundamentally have changed. The old you, the old I, has been crucified with Christ. It says, for the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to one another. And so, this is describing what we so often face, isn't it? There's a war going on inside of us, but so often, we're confused about what side of the war am I on? Is, is Christ inside of me and sometimes I fight on Christ's side, but sometimes I fight on the side of the flesh and my sinful desires? What side are we actually on? We'll keep reading. It says, for these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. The life I now live The new I wants to do what is right. 
The life I now live, I live by faith. We must live by faith and believe that we have been changed. And even though at one point we used to love sin, we no longer love sin. The true you always wants to obey. Who you truly are is someone who wants to honor God with their lives, is someone who wants to do the right thing in their relationships, is someone who wants to look at people not as objects to be lusted after, but as people to be loved. The true you is someone who is truly content in Christ and the season or stage or situation that you find yourself in. That is the true you. And what you need to understand that the battle that is being warged inside of us is Satan is continually trying to undermine these two foundations. He's trying to rip them out from under us. He's subtly trying to say, ah, justification by faith, I mean, that's a little sketchy. Don't you think you should do some things to earn your way to God? And really, the, the reason why you're tempted right now is because that's who you truly are. But we, we live this new Christian life by faith. We must believe that we have been changed and that we have been transformed. Justification addresses our, our, uh, the penalty that we deserve for our sin. And union with Christ deals with the power that sin used to have over us but doesn't have over us anymore. Jesus lives inside you and you are new. So much of the Christian life is to become who you already are. You are indwelled by the Spirit of Christ. You have been made new. And sometimes well-meaning Christians, they kind of talk out of both sides of their mouth. They're like, I'm a new creation and God made me new and I'm different and I'm changed. But then they, but then they, they, then they sin and, and then they say, oh, my heart is deceitful and, 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 and I'm a wicked, evil sinner. That is not who you are. That I, the I that, that, that was a horrible, wicked sinner and the I that, that, that was uh, deceived is dead. And the I that was deceitful is dead. You are new. You are alive. And the true you wants to obey. You will never find freedom until you understand that. That at the very core of who you are, you have been transformed. You used to love sin, now you hate sin. You used to hate God, now you love God. And we need to understand, I'm totally forgiven and I'm totally changed. That is where freedom and forgiveness and the Christian life truly begins. And there's no greater picture of this freedom than, than our baptism. You think back to the moment where you were baptized. You go under the water signifying your, your union with Christ. You're, you've been crucified with Christ under the water, symbolizing your death with him. And the life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God coming out of the water in newness of life. That is such a, a brilliant picture of what it means to have Christ die instead of me and to have Christ live inside of me. And for some of us here today, when we think about baptism, we're looking to a moment in our past. 
For others of us today, we're thinking about baptism as a, a moment in our future. And I, I want to speak to that group of people here right now. If you're here today and you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ and you haven't yet been baptized, I want to I challenge you to get that done. And uh, there's no baptism tank at the front here right now, uh, but there will be in a couple of weeks. And if God is stirring in your heart today to take that step of embracing your justification, embracing your union with Christ, and to publicly declare that the old me is dead, there is a new me, and Christ lives inside of me, what I want to ask you to do is, as Jameson, is, he's going to lead us in a song in a minute, what I want to ask you to do is just, just join me up here at the front of the gym. And just take a step, a, a step of commitment saying, I am going to get baptized. I am not putting this off any longer. And this is the place where baptism candidates normally sit in a service. And so you can come and you come, come be where you, where you ought to be. If you're saved in Christ, then you ought to be baptized. So come, come be where you belong and we'll, we'll make some plans to get you uh, baptized when the tank is set up a couple of weeks uh, from now. Now, I want to be absolutely crystal clear. You've just heard a message about justification by faith, not by works. Baptism is a work, okay? And so when I'm talking about the importance of baptism to you today, I'm not saying that you need to get baptized in order to get saved. Baptism does not produce salvation. Baptism is a picture of salvation. But we are commanded uh, to do it. You might be here today and you're thinking, well, you know what, I'm, I'm just not ready. Well, I gotta ask you, the two things that I just described to you today, those foundations, your justification and your union with Christ, do you understand and are you living by those things? Because that's all you need to be ready. So you're ready. So stop saying you're not ready, because you are. You might be saying, well, I, I've, still got some, I've still got some sin that I'm, that I'm wrestling with and I feel like if it, I would be uh, you know, a hypocrite if I were to get baptized. God wouldn't accept my, my baptism until I'm more holy. You're not justified by works. Stop thinking that you need to somehow achieve some sort of certain status or measure up in order to be worthy to be baptized. What you do is you come into the tank and you die because you're not worthy. And you come up and you're raised from the dead because Christ is worthy. That's the whole point. And so don't put it off thinking that you're not worth. None of us are worthy. Well, I, Ted, I, I really want to do this, but to be honest, like I'm, I'm scared. I don't even want to come to the front right now because I'm, everyone's going to be watching and then when I get baptized, I'm going to be facing everyone. I'm going to get wet. Everyone's going to be looking at me. I'm afraid. Well, listen. Christ lives in you. He's not afraid. And there's a new you. You used, to, you used to be a slave to fear. The old you, was your whole motivation was, 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 was fear. It kept you from, from doing things you shouldn't do. It, it stopped you from doing things you ought to do. But that fear no longer controls you. You haven't been given a, a spirit of fear. But a spirit of love and power and self-control. 
And if God's spirit is speaking to you, if Christ in you is speaking to you. See, here's the thing. Christ is in you and you've been made new. And so the real you wants to obey. Who you are at the very core of you wants to be baptized, needs to be baptized. That's who you truly are. Furthermore, Christ is in you. One of the first things Jesus got done was to get baptized. I mean, very early on in the Gospels, right? Like chapter two, chapter three, John the Baptist baptizing people. Jesus shows up. John's like, I'm not even worthy to tie your shoes. I, I shouldn't be baptizing you. And what does Jesus says? It's necessary to fulfill all righteousness. Not that Jesus needed to be baptized. He didn't need to be forgiven for his sins, but Jesus was fully identifying with humanity and Jesus had to live, he he lived a perfect life. And so if God was commanding through the prophet John the Baptist that everyone should be baptized, Jesus couldn't break that command. So he got baptized. And so there's a new you that wants to be baptized, wants to follow God and Christ is in you. And he wants you to be baptized as well. And if you, if you come forward, just remember, if you, if you take that step forward, you're not doing it because you want God to love you. You're doing it because he already has. So let's bow our heads and to pray together as we uh, contemplate these truths. God, I pray that you would take the, this foundation and that it would be so fixed in our lives, Lord, that you have instantly and permanently justified us all because of your grace and because of your love and only through faith in your son, Jesus Christ. And God, I I pray that the reality of our new identity and our union with with you and who we truly are God, I pray that you would set us free from guilt. I pray that you would set us free from those cycles of feeling like we don't measure up and then feeling guilty and discouraged and defeated and then turning back towards sin. God, I pray, I pray that we would know what it means to be forgiven and that we would believe by faith that we are, that we'd believe by faith that we have been made new. Make it so. And Lord, I pray for those who are here today who the Spirit is prompting them to take that step, to commit to get baptized at our next baptism service. I pray, Lord God, that you would fill them with courage, that you would fill them with faith, that they would take this step knowing that they're not earning their favor with you because they already have favor with you. So I pray that you would do this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. This has been an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel in Brampton, Ontario. For more information about our church or to contact us, please visit harvestbrampton.ca.